Hello and welcome to Unlicensed Therapy, the variety comedy show podcast. My name is Peter. And I'm Andreas. Um, welcome to Unlicensed Therapy, where we have absolutely no reason to give anybody advice. However, you're going to listen to us do just that, uh, both to each other and our audience. How are you doing today, Peter? You know, I'm, I'm going to start hot today um, because I'm a, little, I'm a little mad. Okay. So work was fine. I don't, it was whatever. But at about 11.30 a.m., I went to the bathroom and I tried to flush and my flusher handle on my toilet <laughs> oh no just span in a spun span spooned it spinned in a circle like as if it had stripped like a stripped screw spins just endlessly uh-huh um so then you know, naturally, I take off the top of the toilet, and I look inside, and fiddling with this thing, and I have no idea. It looks perfectly fine, except it just doesn't, like, the force required to lift the, the plunger bit that, you know, lets all the water out of the tank down into yeah, the bowl. Yeah, like that little flappy that goes up and down yeah. and it opens the hole. Yeah, the force that takes to lift that up, you know, to, to beat the, the power of the water is, for whatever reason, starting today at 11.30 a.m., <laughs> too great for my handle. So now I have to go to, like, Home Depot or something and get a new handle, and I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I, so, I'm yeah, not so excited. just to be clear, you're working from home right now like everybody else is. Yeah. So yeah. this is your problem. Someone doesn't get to, like, you don't leave the office and this is someone else's problem. This is your work right. problem at 1130, but then you it sign is. off for work and this is still your problem. Yeah. You know, if you're in an office and you take a, like, a, a shit in the toilet and you leave it there, <laughs> the next person that uses that toilet's going to be a little mad. But I'm that next person. You're always and the I'm next already person. mad. <laughs> so, oh my gosh! So that was my day, and I'm just dreading having to go to Home Depot to just buy a new handle because every other part of the construction works. I think it's just the handle decided. You know what? Today That's is it. my day to leave. Yeah, <laughs> I'm done. I give up. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, that's my day. How's your day, Andreas? It was pretty good. I was going to say, it can't be too unreasonably difficult to replace, right? But it's just one sure. of those things that you like. You never think about the things that are going to break, the th all the things in your life that work perfectly until one of them stops working. Yeah, it, it, it's just like everything is fine. Like I, I'm a very normally a pretty well-tempered individual. Uh-huh. Unless it's a minor inconvenience. <laughs> minor inconveniences piss me off more than any other thing on planet Earth. Like your toilet flusher not working. My girlfriend and I had a similar problem where randomly, like sort of in the middle of fall approaching winter, our thermostat just decided to stop being a thermostat. Mm -hmm. It just didn't want to do what thermostats do. So it would work intermittently. Oh. And so we'd turn the heat on and nothing would happen. 
<laughs> and then sometime randomly in the day, the thermostat would go, yeah, okay. And it would just turn on. That's and that's even then worse. Then it would run for too long. It wouldn't turn off when you're at the temperature you want to be at. Oh, my God. So instead of dealing with this like a normal adult would and just dealing with the problem when it happened, uh-huh. we lived with it doing this for like four months. Four <laughs> months? Yeah. And finally, I called my landlord because we rent and I was I told him. So, by the way, the thermostat doesn't work. It probably stopped working. I don't know. Last week because I wasn't Uh going to tell him that I was living with it for four months. Sure. And he said, well, let me send someone out and they send someone out and they look at it and they look at the furnace and they look at everything because at the time we didn't really know what it was. Uh I had assumed it was the thermostat. Sure. And it was too. one of those old, like, mercury bubble thermostats that uses liquid mercury to make the connection of the circuit. When when was your apartment built? Um, the 70s? Like the 90s. What no, the, the 90s, probably. What the hell? They're pretty cool, actually. I mean, that's the best kind of circuit that you can have. I mean, really. sure. Until it doesn't <laughs> work. Well, okay. So continuing, the HVAC people come out and they're like, we don't know what the problem is. We could replace the thermostat, but it'll be $200 or something stupid. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I can do that for less than $200. So we went to Lowe's and I bought a thermostat, one of the new digital ones. Uh (laughs) I took our old thermostat off the wall. Didn't realize this was going to be a problem. Our old thermostat is horizontal or sorry our old thermostats vertical our new thermostats horizontal so it doesn't fit the hole in the wall oh okay okay yeah yeah. essentially the dimensions so there's a hole in the wall where the old one is where i still haven't bought a cover plate oh nice uh but i cut a new hole in the wall for the new one of course i'm sure my landlord's fine with all this yeah and then uh plugged in all the cables and stuff and i discovered what the issue was in the process of doing this so the cable that detects the heat situation, because the air conditioner was working fine, the, uh-huh. the little copper wire that detected heat, the copper inside the insulation was broken, so it was in two pieces. Oh. And so intermittently, that copper would touch together oh. and start working, but then it would separate uh-huh. and it would break the circuit and it would stop working. And so that was the issue. Wow. Needless to say, I'm basically an electrician now for replacing my own thermostat. Wow, congratulations. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, like you said, your landlord's probably fine with it. And it's, you know, pro- it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So that's that's true. And now instead of, you know, what you said, a vertical hole in the wall, um, now you just have a plus sign, you know. <laughs> Sam's I actually cut a separate hole in a different location. Oh. Because my plan was cut a hole in the new location so that the thermostat fully covers it and then just buy a cover plate for the old location. Oh, I guess that makes sense. But I just still haven't done that second part. Hell yeah. Wow. That is incredible. I had no idea. How did you live like yeah. that for four months? Well, it worked mostly. <laughs> yeah, right. Until, you know, it was 3 a.m., and it's yeah. 40 degrees in the apartment and you're like exactly. i want to die yeah wow pretty much that is that's quite the story yep yeah. so anyway your toilet situation should be solvable is what i'm saying oh it's extremely solvable it's just that 
I don't want to, but it's one of those things that will, you know, exponentially get worse. <laughs> yeah. The longer I leave it. So. So can you take the lid off of the back of the toilet and just manually flush it? Yeah. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Okay. So you're going to live like this for four months. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I could, but I don't have that fortitude <laughs> or something. So I think we should explain sort of to our listeners what our what our brief thought is here. Yeah. Um, we wanted to create a podcast between the two of us because we constantly sit around and just do this anyway to each other exactly and so we thought it would be a good idea to share it with the world try to give you guys some of our terrible advice like cutting holes in the drywall for your new thermostat or living with it for four months or living with it for four months that sounds like a cards against humanity card oh my god it does that'd be a great card um yeah and so that's kind of the the, the foundation we're building this podcast on and um we, we've kind of built out sections because like I said in the intro, we're going to try and make this in like a variety show kind of format. And I feel like starting it with a story of the week of sorts, it's a nice kind of like, ah, yes, here they are complaining about something. <laughs> anyway, um, that's our story of the week. But since um, I already I also want to talk about this. This is what happened literally today. And I was like, this is a great great thing to add to our discussion so andreas i'm listening i already answered this today so i'm going to ask you and get your take and then i'll explain my side of the story um in our snapchat group uh, of, of our our closest friends that we kind of regularly talk to or, or play video games with whatever one of our friends said what animal could you reasonably take on in a fight it's a great question. It is. And I want to give a shout out to our friend Sage because she comes up with some of the greatest hypothetical questions. Yeah, they're they're very thought provoking. Um, and often when she asks questions like this, like she'll ask this at like nine in the morning. <laughs> yeah. You know, and granted, you know, we all work or nine to fives or whatever, you know, we, we work eight hour days or, um, some of us are students. So we're up, everybody's up at that time. So it's not like out of the ordinary, but this will last the whole day. Yes. Like this conversation lasted till about two in the afternoon and it was like almost nonstop, like no breaks. Everybody was like, of course, I could take this animal or there's no way you could take on that animal. It's borderline inconvenient because on a Thursday morning slash afternoon, I'm working and I'm trying to get work done. Yeah. But you can't not respond to what people are saying because it's so engaging. Right. And and that's where I was stuck because without, oh, sorry. Let me give you the, the real context. She acts. So this is, this makes it even better. Sage asked this question at 2.06 a.m. Oh. <laughs> I didn't realize that until now. She asked this at 2 in the morning. So I, the brave one, answered at 7.55. Deer. 
because I reasonably think I could take on a deer. This, this spurred on quite the lengthy conversation. I don't think I would always win against a deer, <laughs> but I think I have an above 50% chance to beat a deer in combat. So this, this was funny in the moment that it happened to me because I read the question, which is what animal could you reasonably be in a fight? Yeah. For some reason, deer is not the first thing that pops into my head. Like, uh, because you and I both know that there's plenty of animals, like pedantic answers that you could say like, oh, a mosquito. I could reasonably beat a mosquito in a fight. I could kick a rabbit's ass. Exactly. But that doesn't play to the question. Yeah. Which the question clearly is what animal that is going to put up a good fight could you reasonably be in a fight? Yeah. And I feel like fighting a deer is no like easy task, <laughs> but it's not impossible. I honestly think, and like my brother was saying, you're screwed. Deer can run at 50 miles an hour. They have antlers and they can kick and break your face. Yeah, of course I know that. First of all, I'm not going to be in a position, I think, where a deer will actually reach its top speed. I feel like that's a little unrealistic if we're at, like, (laughs) the way I imagine this question is that I'm in a boxing ring with any animal I want. And they are just as willing to fight me as I am to fight them. I don't think a deer can reach 50 miles an hour (laughs) in, like, a hundred square feet for sure the, the the thing that is great about these conversations is they all happen over instant message over snapchat yeah so people's points and they're like them trying to defend themselves and the conversation degrades very quickly 100 percent it does uh, and then everybody starts chiming in there must be seven or eight of us in this snapchat group mm-hmm. uh, and four or five at any given time participating and it just breaks down so quickly where you're trying to explain, well, this fight is happening under controlled circumstances and this is how I picture it. I feel like that's the assumption, right? Like this is not like necessarily in anybody's like home territory. I could take a deer out in my house. Are you kidding me? <laughs> There's so many corners. You could just sneak up on it. Easy money. Same, you know, flip side of that coin. Deer's probably going to beat me in its home territory. For sure. I'm saying neutral arena where you fight this animal. Yeah. I think, okay, so then that part of the conversation also became, well, could you fight a doe or a buck? Because deer, you know, is kind of general. So a buck, of course, has antlers, which is a factor. It 100% is. I think I would have a higher win rate against a doe, but I don't think I would necessarily you know, get my ass kicked by a buck either. And my uh-huh. my answer to this was, because obviously people were like, there's no way you could beat a buck. You'll just get stabbed and die. Playing to my advantage, I have hands, dude. You know, if right. they get cut up in this fight, trying to grab this deer's antlers, sure. That's kind of understood. But if I can get a hold of those antlers, that's game, set, and match, baby. Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Be- because... If you control, I learned this, my parents were both police officers uh, for quite some time. And one of them taught me, if you ever want to manipulate somebody, uh, like like their body, um, 
the body will always follow the head because the head's like the most important part. So if I get to hold the antlers, I could just, you know, effectively, not necessarily, I want to say choke out. I, I could just um, pin this deer because, you know, it, I have it by the head. And from there, I just win the fight. Call uncle. There is something very dangerous and primal about a trapped animal. So once right. you have it pinned, you have to deal with the thrashing. Sure. You have to make it quick after that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I think I could take a deer on in a fight is basically. Okay. For I reference. Like yeah, for reference. I'm six foot four. I weigh 215 pounds. I feel like I could put up a decent fight. My, I am um, moderately in shape. My strategy, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is not logical in any way. But you know how predators have eyes in the front of their head so they can see their prey mm -hmm. and prey have eyes on the side of their heads so that they can see in sort of semicircles on either side of them? Yeah. So if you just stand perfectly in the blind spot in the middle of the deer, <laughs> it won't be able to see you. And that's an easy win. Right. Because I feel like even if you do stand, you know, at that max distance between the two side eyes, there's got to be some depth perception issues there. For sure. Anyway, Andres, so, what animal could you reasonably fight? I, I'm pretty conservative about this question because <laughs> I am afraid of going outside. Not really. I probably shouldn't set that standard in episode one, right? Because... <laughs> nope. You but, are forever labeled agoraphobic. Sorry, bud. So that's not true. But <laughs> but I am... I, there is something about animals, like wild animals, where you just don't want to fuck with that in, in nature, of course. Yeah. So anything that lives in water, if I'm fighting in water, that's it. I'm done. I lose that fight every time. I'm right there with you. I There's no chance in hell I beat any aquatic creature. No. Even if it's like a small barracuda, if we're in the water, humans are not meant for water. Yeah. That barracuda will beat me easily. Oh, yeah. But right I there with you. There was there was some extensive talk about a coyote at one point. <laughs> oh, that's right. I think I could could take a coyote in a fight if you like, if you get the upper hand early. But if it starts biting at you or if it gets on top of you, you're done. But here's the thing, right? Coyotes are way smaller than people think. Like a coyote yeah. weighs, what, 40 pounds at the most? Uh-huh. They're pretty skinny and they're not like huge. You know, they're a little bit bigger than a fox, but not like crazy. Yeah. I feel just, you, you know, you just have more mass to throw around. So even if, you know, he gets on top of you, you can just chuck him off pretty easily. The problem being, in my imagination, he's really quick, like really agile, like and oh, can yeah. really probably squirm out of your arms if you try to grab him. So my concern would be a, being able to, you know, get a decent advantage in the first place against a coyote. I could beat a stork, I think, or like a heron. <laughs> I think that's my threshold see, for animals like, I could beat in the wild. <laughs> I kind of see what you're saying. But with, a, with large birds, especially storks and herons, I feel like you're at such a significant range disadvantage. Oh, that's true. They've, They've long got, necks it's like a spear. And long beaks. Yeah. Like trying to approach that thing 
is going to be a bitch. I think once you're, you know, within a few inches to a foot of it, you know, easy peasy, checkmate. Yes. But trying to get to that point is the difficult part. My my point in the Snapchat group when I was having this conversation, I said <laughs> I could maybe take a house cat, maybe, <laughs> if it's declawed and full of food. But then I was thinking about that, and I've seen my best friend's house cat. They own a barn cat that they got from uh, their their family lives like out in the middle of Ohio, and, and they got this barn cat from them. And that cat literally tries to eat the other cat on a weekly basis. And they have to keep them in separate rooms for fear of them eating each other. And I don't think I could beat that cat either. So I'm not convinced I can beat many animals in the wild. So here's the, here's the qualification. You can beat a house cat, but there's no chance in hell you could beat a barn cat. Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it's all in the terminology. Oh, yeah. okay, there you go. All you have to do is label the animal what you think you can beat. So yeah. I can't beat a tiger, but I can beat a house tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I can't beat a black panther, but I can beat a diseased black panther. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, man, great stories. I tell you what. Um, moving on is our next segment armchair experts which i'm very excited about because when andreas first pitched this idea i lost my mind <laughs> yeah i would say in the term of the word in the definition of the word expert i don't really know if i'm an expert about anything like i don't think i could say i am specialized in any given subject necessarily there's the things that i do for work and the things that i do for hobbies that i'm good at but I wouldn't call myself an expert in any particular field. But I am an armchair expert in every field. <laughs> yeah. So that goes to this episode's armchair experts topic, driving. I, in my head, am a pretty good driver. I would say so. I would say we're both decent drivers. Yeah. I guess we'll get to that. Yeah. So the first question I thought of uh, for, for us is what qualities make a good driver so this is obviously a regional thing too um yeah i would say so but l let's try to keep it as like applicable to the general population as possible for sure so things that make you a good driver i think there are the obvious things of being a safe driver you can be a safe driver and not have had a lot of accidents or incidents sure um when I was a teenager, I can, it's funny because when I'm driving now today as an adult, I can still hear my mom talking to me uh -huh. from 10 years ago when I was learning how to drive and like telling me all the things that make a good driver. And one of the things that she would always tell me is it's not just about being a good driver, but it's about making your passengers comfortable. And okay. Okay. Of course, looking back on it, my mom was just annoyed about how fast I cornered and, and sure. how quickly I sped up and whatever. But I do think that's true. When you're with someone, pretend yeah. you're driving a total stranger around. That would be something that a good driver does is they make sure that their passengers are comfortable. I think that's a really good point. 
And by that definition, I am a terrible fucking guy. <laughs> um, according to my fiance. Who This is a three-part question, I feel like. It that. is. It is. Uh, according to my fiance, I'm a terrible driver by that standard because she swears that I try to kill her every time I drive just because I... W- this kind of circles back. I owe this to how my parents taught me how to drive, which was um, rooted in... My parents are a bit older comparatively to other people in my generation by nearly a decade, I would say. So my parents grew up driving before the um, federal regulation of seat belts and airbags, along with the fact that they were both police officers. So I might have a slightly more assertive driving style, <laughs> uh, to put it gently. So, but I still think I'm a good driver because... I would say I'm largely in control of the vehicle and I'm very aware of my surroundings. So this is the third part of it that I was talking about because you can be a safe driver and you can make your passengers comfortable and you can still be the worst kind of driver on the road. Yeah. Okay. Because the third thing you need to do is be competent and you can be safe and comfortable Yes, and conscious, but you can be safe and comfortable going five under the speed limit, not knowing how to use roundabouts, and be just being a generally terrible driver. Yeah, that's 100% true. Um, every day, I am on the road, and I encounter, and that's up here in Montana. I swear everybody up here learned how to drive on dirt roads with no law enforcement like (laughs) anywhere like they just said i'm going driving and they go out on their property and drive because nobody's going to stop them. yeah when you're 12 because that's how it works yeah when you're 12 on you know this 1975 toyota that has seen three engines and yeah uh, maybe one oil change your grandpa's retired Ford Taurus that's been rusting away in the backyard. Yeah, um, because so many people up here decide that signal signaling when you're turning, changing lanes, any reason at all, it's an option. You know, why not? Just there's space, take it. Who cares? It, and right. it, it it kills me when I see this. And I so, get so mad. So one thing that is fairly new where i live are roundabouts we didn't used to have a lot of roundabouts in the city that i live in Mm -hmm. when i was growing up and now we have them everywhere is that true yeah it's crazy it's i love like which is great the roundabout is a great design it is efficient it makes sense it it directs the flow of traffic in a way that a stoplight never could because you don't have to stop and people do not understand this about a roundabout. Yeah. If there's not someone coming from your left-hand side, please don't stop. Yeah, well, and like roundabouts, this is where I feel like I'm actually somewhat of an expert. Yeah. Roundabouts are, by huge margins, so much more efficient traffic-wise than any other like point of an intersection that 
civil engineers think are good ideas. For sure. Because even even when you have terrible drivers trying to use a roundabout, they are still consistently more efficient. <laughs> and you will always find fewer um like traffic buildups on roads with roundabout than you do stop signs and yeah. streetlights. It's an ingenious system. Yeah. Why do you think Europeans, generally speaking, are better drivers? You're, you're, you might get some hate from for, for that, but... <laughs> they are. It's because they consistently use roundabouts and are hyper aware of their surroundings because they drive on these narrow-ass streets where crosswalks are an option. People will just cross the street willy-nilly. So these European drivers have, like... A sixth sense, knowing exactly when and where people are going to step out into the road, on top of having to share a road that is the length of a lane and a half in America. Yeah, we have huge roads. I don't know what the deal is with that. We have the space. <laughs> um, so we're kind of getting into this a little bit, but your next question is, what is the red flag for you to call someone a bad driver? Yeah, and I feel like I already... Uh, postured my first point is use your damn signals if you don't use your signals consistently you're a bad driver there's the obvious infractions that that piss everybody off like not going when the light turns green that that drives everybody crazy yeah um here's one pet peeve that i have that drives me nuts okay so in a situation when there's an emergency vehicle okay oh my god people are so hung up on pulling over to the right which I get. That is the law. When there's an emergency vehicle, pull over to the right. Yep. But in high traffic situations, people turn their brains off around fire trucks and ambulances, and they just try to drift to the right and figure out any way to get to the right side of the road. It is more important for you to move out of the way than it is for you to pull over to the right. I don't think people understand this. No, of course not, because they don't teach that you know, in most driving schools, it's, you know, you pull to the right when there's an emergency vehicle who like, even if you're on a two lane road, let's say it's blocked up traffic, you cannot move from your position. Exactly. But there's a left turn lane, get into the left turn lane, bro. Even if there's out of the way, even if there's a tiny ass shoulder on the left hand side that you can get your car, you know, if you can make space for a vehicle in between you and people in the right line, lane, you're fine. You're great. Absolutely. But trying to squeeze yourself unnecessarily <laughs> into the right lane will only make matters worse. I love it too when the fire truck's trying to turn right and everybody's just getting in his way. And so he has oh, to go God. all the way around to the left turn lane to get through the intersection. Then some people see emergency lights and they just freeze. And they're just yes. like, well, the thing I need oh, to do God. is just stop moving. And that's uh, not the answer either. I hate those people even more because, you know, at least the people that try to squeeze into the right lane are making an effort. The people that just freeze, like if they're, say you're like turning left at a busy intersection and you're like halfway through the intersection already, but there's still like oncoming traffic and then you see uh, the lights or hear the siren or whatever, and they just freeze and they stay there until whatever ambulance fire truck police uh car is already like three miles down the road they're still frozen (laughs) 
in the middle of the intersection <laughs> because what they fail to realize is that oncoming traffic has a red light at this point. Yeah, exactly. And they're just like in no man's land, terrified to move. Yeah. If you're in an intersection, get out of the intersection. Yeah. Get out. Just get out. Yeah. Or back it up if you have the room. Or back it up or just get out of the way. That's yeah. the moral of the story. Get out of the way. Um, another thing that sort of drives me crazy, which I rant to about all the time when driving, if you miss your turn or your exit, it's okay to go around the block. Oh, yeah. I know people don't understand this, <laughs> but if you miss I... your turn, do not stop. Do not reverse. Do not cut in front of everybody. Just go around the block. I it's feel very like easy. This same concept can be very easily applied to anybody in a parking lot. Yes. If you notice somebody is, you know, walking to their vehicle or they just got in their car or are just starting to pull out, you know, you can either wait or just do another circle. Yeah. Or better yet, it's a parking lot. And if you have no physical handicap, just park further away. That That's a great solution. And you'll get your steps in. It's healthy and effective. It's a win-win. You're not pissing anybody off. I feel like that's the smart thing to do. I have a friend, my best friend. She will park in the furthest spot from any door every See, that, time. That is a different can of worms. That we can <laughs> right? It is a little bit insane. So like uh, on this parking spectrum, you could either inconvenience everybody else. Yes. By trying to get the closest spot to the door, if it's like busy, obviously, or you can inconvenience yourself by parking in the furthest possible spot. Right. I feel like there's a happy medium. There is. Even on days like Black Friday, you know, where shit is hitting the fan and you swear to God, there's no parking spot. There is a happy medium. <laughs> <laughs> There is. And sometimes I'm guilty of that where I don't want to deal with the problem. So I'll find a spot really far away. Like when we're trying to park downtown or something mm -hmm. and I'll be like, there's probably no spots down there. It's Friday night. There's tons of people. Let's just park three blocks away. And my girlfriend is like, do we have to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no spots. We're going to be circling forever. And you get to the place you're going after you've parked three and blocks you see away the spot. and there's 30 spots. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I learned that quickly in college when I would always drive downtown to go to the bars was just, um, you know, it's probably not there, but it doesn't hurt to check. And, yes. you know, the most amount of time you're losing is five minutes. No, that's true. That's very true. You can go another five minutes without a beer, Peter, is what I told myself. And I would almost always find a spot that was so much more convenient. <laughs> another thing my mom used to say is... She would always say, if you don't, if you're not going to say it to someone's face or do it to them on the sidewalk, don't do it in your car. Okay. Like if you're, you're not going to cut off strangers in the middle of the sidewalk while you're walking somewhere. You're not going to swerve in front of them and then cut them off and then honk at them or yell at them. Right. Yeah. So don't do it in your car. I do know some people that do, uh, do that exact thing, but <laughs> Well, those people should learn 
those people should learn how to drive is what we're saying anyway <laughs> <laughs> all right so to get to the end of this segment yeah yeah, yeah. andreas on a scale of one to ten yeah how would you rate me as a driver so we've got these three defined categories now where yeah and are... i feel like we can factor in any other number of oh for sure things at your discretion so I've driven with you plenty of times. Um, yeah. I will preface this by saying you are a much better driver than a lot of people we know. Yeah, not to absolutely throw somebody under the bus. You know who you are. Or maybe, maybe you don't. But you should really learn how to drive next to the bus and not underneath it. No. Uh, <laughs> not to drive someone's car under the bus like they would. But... Yeah, not not to, not to totally... Is this like... Is this like what subtweeting is <laughs> except in podcast format um so on the scale peter i think you're a safe driver for sure okay uh, you you haven't really been in any accidents that i know of or nope. any serious incidents uh you you know the road rules and you know not just the road rules but how to implement them i feel like a lot of people know the textbook road rules but they have no clue what that means in real life. Oh my God. Uh, just slight tangent on that. If you're driving on the highway, you had better be in the right lane unless you're passing. That is the only reason you should be in the left lane. Absolutely. There are so many people. I've driven on the highway a lot in my life. Very long trips across the entire United States. And there are so many people who just sit in the left lane like it's the best thing in the world. Get in the right lane, please. I don't think those people understand that when they're when they're all doing it, the left lane is the slow lane at that point and that's not what it's for. Yeah, and then you have a bunch of people in the right lane who are fed up with their shit that have to break the law and pass on to the get right. what they want. Anyway, yeah, slight tangent. This podcast is going to trigger me, I've realized. I'm already pissed. <laughs> <laughs> We've been recording for 42 minutes, and we're both in a rage. Yeah, I don't know if this was a great idea. Maybe not. Or or it's a, it's a form of catharsis. That's what I'm going to mark it as in my brain. Oh, okay. That, <laughs> that has something to do with therapy. You're getting it all out. Bingo. Welcome to Unlicensed Therapy, where we have no reason to give advice or Absolutely any qualifications not. to do so either. I feel like after that lengthy driving segment, we should explain that you should absolutely follow the rules of your jurisdiction, uh, drive safe, and and do all of the things that you're supposed to do in a car. Uh, don't listen to us about anything. Um, yeah. Wow. You know, okay, I feel so, like... Sorry. I keep getting very distracted. So yeah, you're a safe too. driver. You are a competent driver where you go the right speed. You know when to switch lanes. You can maneuver potentially dangerous situations. I feel like that's very important. Yeah. Um, a little bit lacking on the comfort, I would say. But that's okay. I don't think you need to always be comfortable in a car. That's the thing. Is like I know that about myself is that I am the most aggressive safe driver out there which it can be a problem to some people hey <laughs> like i said no incidents bingo i rear-ended somebody once i will oh. so i will um say that you're skewing my numbers now right i know for the rating it's because 
um, they, so we were at a stoplight and it turned green and they started moving. So I was like, okay, cool. I can start moving too. But the person in front of them suddenly stopped. So they hit their brakes. Oh no. And I had stopped paying attention for that split second. And now there is a square punch from the hitch in my bumper. (laughs) Oh, that's lucky for them though. Oh, there was zero damage to their car. Like it looked like it came just off like the lot. It was in pristine condition. My car also completely fine, except for this perfectly square punch in the bumper. You should put something there, like a Rubik's cube or something. That would be really funny. But yeah, that uh, but like that that's not even like a formal accident because you know we pulled into this gas station parking lot. And it was this, like, 75-year-old man. He's like, oh, life's too short to make a fuss about this. My car's fine. Get lost, kid. And I was like, "Nice, thank you, sir. Have a nice day. And I was, I really beat myself up about that because that had been, like, that's to this day still the only accident I've ever been in. Well, hey, it's not on your record, and we don't know where that guy is. So for all you know, someone just reversed into your car. Yeah. hitch. Exactly. Uh, well, I was going to give you an 8, but I'll give you a 7.5 for the anecdote at the end there. Understandable. I, I needed, I needed like a, a very honest rating. So I feel you like you not knowing that I rear-ended somebody would kind of yeah put a mark in that. Yeah, I'd say uh, I know the accidents you've been in, and they've been completely not your fault. So oh, overall, I'd give, I'd give you a 9, you know? Wow. I'd say you're a very consistent driver. Uh, in my experience and like I've never feared for my life like I do in uh, like I have in other people's <laughs> vehicles where they you I think it's only because we drive so similarly that could be right and that might be the bias that we're failing to <laughs> realize is that we like and respect how each other drive because we drive similarly whereas other people suck at driving because they don't drive like us so that's a great point because i know for a fact my girlfriend would not give me a nine yeah uh but it's just because i personally think it's because she drives more aware than i do perhaps okay no that's not even the word for it but she definitely drives more cautiously than i do and so so when i'm driving it's it's more nervousness okay so like Let's say you and I are are driving. We're going to down to the Dairy Queen. Yeah, like you do. We, like you do. We get um, two soft serve ice cream cones. Uh huh. Do you drive with one hand while simultaneously eating your soft serve ice cream cone going forty miles an hour in busy traffic? Yes. Absolutely, you do. Would <laughs> yes, your girlfriend? Uh, probably not. Yeah. See, that's the uh, that's the difference. Is that the time I... when I'm most distracted when I'm driving is when I'm trying to pick a song. Oh, okay. That's fair. I get that. You, you have to you have to find the right song for the for the for the mood of the drive because for there sure. are so many different moods when driving. Yes. Very true. That range from, I'm going to crank this music so loud that I risk rupturing my eardrum, to dead silent, 
I can't even hear myself breathe quiet driving. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the kind of driving where you're making a face, but you don't realize it. Yes. And you go all the way to your destination looking stupid with your mouth half open. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Great. Well, I'm pretty satisfied with that result. I would say I will say I did get a speeding ticket uh, one time, uh, which was my fault, I will admit. I will admit that it was my fault. But it's one of those roads where every single person is going that much over the speed limit. Oh, come on. Yeah, those are And I got unlucky. (laughs) Yeah, I got one once, but I got out of it because I'd never been to the area before, and it was like 11 o'clock at night. Oh, wow. Um, Because it was in a weird transition from like this tiny little town to a state highway. So the speed limit goes from like 35 to 70 in a very short span of road. And so I, this was my first time driving on that road and it was dark. And I remembered, you know, from my initial drive up that it was 70 at this point. Uh huh. But on my way back, it was too dark. I didn't see the sign. I had already sped up to 70 but it was still 35 and this cop was like, yo dude, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it hadn't changed yet. And that's when he pointed like maybe a quarter mile, half mile down the road. He's like, that's where it changes. So like, I get it. And he was like, go have a good night. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, should we move on to our final segment? Yeah, let, let's move on to our final segment. This is going to be our our questions and advice column uh, where it, down the road uh, when we have some viewership, uh, we will ask people to send in their questions. Give us your problems. We'll give you advice for them. You could reach me on my Twitter, at unsupervisedfun. Uh, you can send me your questions there. Um, we also have an Instagram page at unlicensed therapy show on Instagram. Wow, this is very fancy. Yeah, right. Uh, send us your questions. We'll answer them. So in light of that, since we don't have anything, welcome to episode one, everybody. Andreas, I was doom scrolling uh, social media the other day um, out of complete boredom. And I was on Facebook, which I'm almost never on anymore. Yeah, maybe once a week. And uh, it came up with the memories thing where it's like, oh, you posted this, you know, X amount of time ago. This was from 10 years ago. This is before I'd even met you, I think. Um, Not too, too. Maybe a year before I met you. Okay, sounds reasonable. Something like that. We should preface that by saying we've known each other since... Basically a decade. Yeah, basically a decade, and Let's say we've nine been good and friends years. ever since. Yeah, so this, it came up with two posts from this day, March 3rd, 2011. Whoa, that was yesterday today. I know, Wait. right? <laughs> Did it make sense? I, yep. We're doing it live. Uh, we're not. This is a completely recorded show. Yeah, so I could have cut out the part where I said this is yesterday today, but I didn't because it's funny anyway these two facebook posts are hilarious to me one because i barely use social media in the first place anymore but two because i think i realized something so these two posts were i quote the first one 
board, all lowercase, four periods after it. That, that was the whole post. And then an hour and a half later, in all capital letters, somebody talk to me, please. With five exclamation points following it. Oh my God, it's so angsty. Super angsty. This was 2011. I got zero likes and zero comments. (laughs) This was a dark day for Peter. Oh no. Um, And so I have two questions to ask you, Andreas. One is, did you ever make like these incredibly cringy posts to your wall when you were, fuck, how old are we? 24 and 10 years ago. 14. So did you make um, these incredibly cringy posts when you were 14 or younger? I don't, when did you get Facebook? I probably, okay, I got pressured into downloading Facebook by a girl I liked at the time. Nice. Um, so that must have been the summer between sixth grade mm-hmm. and seventh grade, my first year of middle school. Yeah, that lines up nicely with mine, too. But did you ever call out to all of your 90, maybe, Facebook friends? Is what I'm guessing I had at the time for attention in such a bold and, like, unapologetic way. Yeah, I I mean, I know this has happened. Yeah. And I probably can't remember specifics that long ago. Yeah. Suffice it to say... I know that I posted some extremely cringy uh-huh. Facebook posts. Yeah. Um, there was a thing that I was doing for a while where I was obsessed with one band specifically. And mm-hmm. every single day I would post, here is so-and-so's song of the day. Oh, oh, my God. That's extremely cringy. And it was also just a a band no one had heard of it wasn't popular yeah. this was not something that people were going to my facebook page every day to click on the song from the same band that no one listens to there you go uh, i know i, like I did it. that for sure okay so then this has a follow-up question i know people that i knew in high school or previously that still do this shit oh my gosh 10 years later i still have people our age still make this kind of post on social media, but they are also the people I most expected in high school (laughs) to do this exact thing. Like it's not a surprise when I see like, it's probably five people that I knew. I, you know, I feel like Facebook is, you know, generally regarded as the old person's social media. Um, and you know, old, like there's a whole subreddit dedicated to it called old people Facebook where it's just these completely outlandish or strange Uh posts. And so it's just super strange and weird. It's weird is what I'm saying. That's my advice to you is just stop posting on Facebook. It's a bad idea. You should probably keep your thoughts to yourself. And if you can't, just write it in a journal and burn it. So that's what I was going to (laughs) say. What I was going to say was I know one individual. I'm not going to say any names, of course. Uh, Yeah, I'm not either. I know an individual who uses Facebook as their daily journal. Oh. Where every single day they will post, went to Starbucks today, ordered a flat white, the lady at the counter was nice, drove to work, 
It was an okay day at work. Feeling a little bit of anxiety today. And these are individual posts, like throughout the day. Like, uh, it like varies. You get, like you get a chronology. Yeah, you definitely can't. Like, oh my if God. I was an author or or a good writer, I could probably put this person's life together from their Facebook posts like into pretty a coherent biography. <laughs> wow. Uh, so that's that's a little bit much. How I old are say. they? Um, this person is actually much older than me. Okay. See, like I said, it's an old person social media. Not quite that old though. Like it's like a middle age problem. Okay, that's still. So strange. when you reach your mid midlife crisis, do your best to find a therapist, or a journal to burn, or a journal to burn, or you could send <laughs> us your questions about yeah. your life. And we will answer them for you. Yeah, tweet me directly. Like I said, unsupervised fun on Twitter, or you could tweet or not tweet. You could uh, comment on the unlicensed therapy show Instagram. Um, there's only one post on it as of today, but we will field your questions, Andreas. You can plug any social media you can be reached at, which is next to nothing. Yeah, I'm usually at the Bossy Coffee on just about everything. Even on Twitter, do you still you don't use Twitter? No, but I have Twitter, and it is at the Bossy Coffee. There you go, people. Send us your we'll, questions. We'll, we'll figure out where to put that information to. I assume also yeah. we will post an Instagram post for each episode. So yes. my suggestion would be to go to the Instagram post of this episode and comment your questions for the next episode. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good kind of system. But do it wherever you want. We'll find them. We'll find them. We'll field them as uh needed yeah so give us your questions and you know what thanks for thanks for listening thanks for listening to episode one of unlicensed therapy yeah okay so i think that we live in a time where it's sometimes shocking to hear good news these days i don't know if that's just me no no i would say so okay uh so i think a good thing to do at least for now on our on our outro here would be to leave our listeners with some good news yeah um this one might be a little unorthodox, but I think it's kind of cool. So this is at the Global Frozen Zoo in San Diego. Here lives Elizabeth Ann, who is the first ever cloned black-footed ferret, which is an endangered species. Oh, wow. Uh, created from the frozen cells of a ferret that died more than 30 years ago. What? And they've been preserving this cell line in the San Diego Global Frozen Zoo since 1988. Wow, that is awesome. So for all you black-footed ferret lovers out there, and to all lovers of endangered species, look at that. We're getting better at science. We're going to be able to save what diverse wildlife we have on planet Earth yet. Could you beat a black-footed ferret? I think I could physically, but <laughs> in no way morally or ethically. You couldn't get over the mental block of attacking a cute animal such as a black-footed ferret. Exactly. Thank you for watching, everybody. Goodbye. Have a good one. Goodbye.